0: All right, let me start off this morning by asking you kind of a heavy question. Uh, What's what's your dream? What's your dream? What would you you think would just be awesome if if you could do it? But so far, you haven't been able yet to pull it off. But you know in the back of your mind, man, this is something I want to do, and it's going to be cool. Let me phrase it differently. What's your passion? What are you passionate about? Because I don't know if you're like me, but I've noticed that whenever God gives me a passion for something or a drive for something and I get really excited about it, it always seems to have some sort of dream attached to it. It's like I get passionate about a certain cause or something that I want to do, but there's always like this big capstone, this thing that I, I, I'm i like, someday if I could do this, this would be so cool. And I don't know, maybe I'm just, you know... Wendy can vouch for the fact that I am sort of a dreamer. This is sort of part of my personality. I do tend to shoot for the stars, but I think all of us are a little bit like this. All of us have a dream. So what's yours? I have a huge passion in my life couples coaching is is a massive passion for me I know some uh, counselors and therapists tell me uh, uh, not all but a few have told me that they really find that couples um, coaching is is draining to them they feel like it's it's sort of exhausting not for me man I find it energizing I love it I mean I'm like send the couples to me let's do this this is lots of fun you know I mean I have I really do um, I, I feel energized by it and I have a passion for it and a drive and a desire to to move the ball down the field because I believe that that if, if we can strengthen marriages, that would be the core of what we can do to get our society back. So I'm, I'm big into that. And so a few years ago, as I was really just coming into that passion and really feeling it strong, I had a dream. And my dream was to, uh, to write a book, write a marriage book, a marriage self-help book. Now, that lapse in judgment aside, um, I did learn some things. In in that process of trying to go from what was a a passion for me to realizing that uh, dream. Now, part of this was I just wasn't very skilled or knowledgeable in what it takes to publish a book. Uh, I knew a lot of pastor friends had written books. I'd seen their stuff on bookshelves and so forth. And other friends of mine, certainly in the... um, marriage self-help community. I'd seen their books on the shelf. I figured, how hard can it be? You know, all I just do is pick up the phone and call whatever publisher I think is my favorite and tell them, hey, I've got a book on the way. Um, you guys just send over a contract and we'll work out the details and uh, we'll get this puppy done, you know? And I found out that it's not that easy, you know? Turns out it's actually really hard to, to get a book published, you know? And uh, I started hearing this word over and over and over again when I was talking to people in that process, and it, was, it, it ended up being a word that started to mean more to me than just you know book stuff and getting something published. Uh, and that's what I'm going to... We're going to focus a little bit on this this morning as we continue on in this series on backstage, on character. The word that they kept, they kept using with me is a word called platform. They said, if you want to publish a book, you got to have a platform. And I'm like, welcome to Wichita. we got a pretty big one. You know, you can goes from one edge of the auditorium to the other. no, 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 not, not that kind of platform. You've you got to have a, what, what we call a platform in the writing world. And um, one person gave me a definition of platform. They said, uh, if you were to put a random group of people together in a room, how many people know who you are and what are you known for? That's your platform. Um, but a better definition was, and I, I want to make sure I read this because uh, someone, someone gave me this definition. I really liked it. Why should you be given a greater slice of influence than anyone else? I thought, man, that's a good definition. Because that's the thing. All of us at some point have to ask ourselves if we want to achieve significance. Whatever dream we have, chances are really good that whatever your dream is, is attached to the desire to to achieve significance. And that's not a bad thing. All of us want to love what we do. We want, to fulfill, we want to feel fulfilled uh, in what we do. We want to feel rewarded, uh, and, and we want to feel like we're making a difference. So it makes sense to, 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 to have a, a dream of achieving significance. But if we do have a dream of achieving significance, we've got to ask ourselves the hard question... Why should we be given a greater slice of influence than anyone else? And see, this is where I messed up in those early days of my my writing work was I had fallen victim to what I like to call the American Idol philosophy of of achievement, right? And the American Idol philosophy of achievement is um, if ever I'm given the chance, someday I'll prove I can do this. If ever I'm given the opportunity, someday I'll prove I can do this. But that's not the way the world works. You know the way the world works is, is in the reverse. It's that if I ever prove I can do this, someday I'll be given the opportunity. If I ever prove I can do this, someday I'll be given the chance. And that's what platform is all about. One uh, literary agent told me years ago, she said, Jonathan, lots of people have a dream. Few people have a platform. So for the, for the purpose of... This morning's talk, we'll think of it in in these terms. Your dream is your passion. What are you passionate about? What are you passionate about achieving? But your platform is being in a position. It is your position to be able to do something. So if you have a dream, you have a passion to do something. But if you have a platform, you have a position to do something. What I mean by this, those of you who are NFL fans, Right? There are tons of people in, in, the, 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 uh, uh, in the audience, in the, in the bleachers there, who have a dream they would love to play on the field. They, they've dreamed of being NFL players. But the only people who have a platform are the people in jerseys, because they're in the position to do that. So let's ask ourselves the question. What is it going to take to mobilize us from a person with a dream, a person with a passion to a person who's seeing those dreams realized. How are we gonna get a platform? Because this is so much bigger than about writing and so much bigger than about books, but I am appreciative for that experience teaching me something about platform because platform, it extends to our entire life. The question is, what is it gonna take for us to be in a position to do what God has called us to do, to realize the fulfillment of the passion that God has put in our heart? And so we're gonna talk about a Bible story it's a very, very long story in the Bible, and we're going to try to keep it condensed and, 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 uh, and pick out the main themes here, because there is actually a story in the Scriptures, in the Old Testament, of a person who went from having a dream to having it turn into reality. A person that God built a platform for. I don't know about you, but I'm not really sure that I have what it takes to build a platform. I'm not even sure I really want to. I want God to build my platform. If I have a platform, I would like God to build it. And so here's the deal. I mean, and by the way, you can find, I'm, I'm, I'm right about this. You can go online and search. There are tons of online courses you can take, online classes for building a platform. You can go online, you can sign up, you can pay your monthly fees and learn how to build a platform. But God is going to take us to school this morning. This is going to be God's class on building a platform, and it's very simple. A few things that we're gonna learn uh, through the life of Joseph in the book of Genesis about how God can turn our dreams into reality. Now, by the way, if you're um, reading along uh, you you brought your Bible with you, or you have your electronic reading device. Here's what's going to happen for the rest of this message. I'm going to toggle between uh, the Genesis account of Joseph's uh, life and Galatians chapter six. And what we're going to do is we're going to take the the Apostle Paul. Now Paul is an amazing life coach through through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Paul gives us this incredible. Body of scripture in the New Testament that really is incredible for helping us understand how to live a successful life. And we're going to look at what Paul's sharing there in Galatians. And we're going to look at what Joseph's life uh, talks to us about in Genesis. And we're going we're, we're to integrate those two things. Um, and that's how we're going to take this class on platform this morning. So let's just talk a bit about Joseph. Now, by the way, time out for just a second. If you're in this room and you love the story of Joseph, like I love the story of Joseph, um, you're probably going to be a little bit bummed this morning because of how much we have to fly over it, okay? Because if we were to spend uh, enough time to do the story of Joseph uh, justice this morning, we'd be here for four or five hours. As it was, I kept the the four o'clock service into 10 minutes of overtime last night. We're not gonna do that uh, this morning. So I understand we are definitely having to condense things down, but I promise you, I promise you that what we're gonna talk about is gonna help you uh, if you have a dream. So, uh, Joseph is born into a messed up family. There's no nice way of putting it, that's just what it is. Joseph is born into a dysfunctional, messed up family. The family he was born into that has a lot of history of favoritism, and favoritism never works out uh, in, in, in families. And in addition to that, he he he, uh, there, he. had brothers that were just wild and just did stupid, wild, idiotic stuff. And we see this later in the scripture um, uh, when Jacob was describing his, his sons. Jacob's Joseph's dad. And when he was describing his other kids, it was really clear. These guys were off the rails most of the time. When By the time Joseph comes along, Joseph is, is his dad's favorite kid. And so... Because his other kids are unruly and problem children, and because Joseph has a respectful spirit, Jacob sends Joseph to go spy on his other brothers all the time. He wants the report. He wants to know what they're doing wrong. And so Joseph is the uh, the family snitch, you know. Uh, and 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 this is what Jacob has asked him to do. So I, I'm sure you can see how this is all set up. Joseph. Doesn't become the popular uh, brother. I mean, Joseph is not somebody that the other brothers want to see coming. They really don't like him very much. Uh, and all of a sudden, he sort of like he sort of like clinches it because he walks in and he says, "You know, what, guys, I had this dream. You know, remember we're talking about how do you turn a dream into reality? I have this dream, and uh, uh, you know, in this dream there were these there were these bundles of grain that." Uh, You know, oddly enough, same number as my brother, same number as you guys. You know, they all circled around me and they bowed down to me. What do you think that means? You know, boy, they didn't like that very much. You know, especially at that time, people put a lot of stock in dreams. At the time, there wasn't the body of scripture that we have now. Often God would communicate important things to people through dreams. And so dreams were taken pretty seriously. And Joseph shows up on the scene and tells his brother something. And everybody understands that what he's basically saying is that his dream was... His dream basically represented the idea that his brothers were going to bow down to him at some point. And they just, I mean, they didn't like that very much, you know. And then it wasn't too long later he had another dream, and he said, "Turns out, you know, the the, the sun, moon, and stars bow down to me." And this was pretty clear within the family that what he's saying is not only are my brothers at some point going to bow down to me, but my mom and dad are too. And everybody was just kind of perplexed at this. And there's plenty of reason to believe in the scripture, these weren't the only two dreams that Joseph had. He probably had several like this. So his brothers were just royally ticked off, and one day, Jacob sends Joseph out to go spy on his brothers, and his brothers see him coming, and they decide it's time to just be done with this kid. I mean, enough, enough, you know? So they decide they're going to kill him. Classy bunch of guys, his brothers. Um, They they decide they're going to kill him and lie to their dad, you know, say something bad happened to him some wild animal, you know, killed him. But instead, you know, they decide to to sell him to a slave train. Egyptian slave train coming through. It was pretty convenient for them. Now they don't have to worry about somehow word getting back to their dad because they're not going to nobody's going to run up on Joseph uh, in Egypt and come back and tell their dad. So they figured they've got the whole thing worked out. And so this is kind of where we pick up the story. Is Joseph is now in Egypt. And he's being sold to what we believe is the, the, the head general, the head army general in Egypt as a, as a slave. And this is where we're going to focus. We're going to focus on, if you, if you know the story of Joseph, you know how it's bracketed. You know that on one end we have Joseph at home with his parents and, and, and has this dream. On the other end you have this incredible rise to power. So you have Joseph's dream and his destiny, but isn't it true that, that where we get stuck, so if you're stuck on the way to making your dream a reality, if, if you're stalled out on the side of the road, where you got stuck is somewhere in between those two things. We always tend to get stuck somewhere between our dreams and our destiny. And so what I want to do is just take you to this period of Joseph's life. Let's talk about what happens before he finally gets to the awesome position that God wants him to have because this is where we can learn something about having the platform uh, that we need. So let me ask you a question just to start off with. Who gave Joseph a dream? Well, God did. That doesn't mean that every dream that you have in life is something that God has placed in your heart. Sometimes we dream selfish dreams. Sometimes we dream dreams that are just, and of course what I'm saying is sometimes we have a desire or a passion to do something that isn't something God gave us. It's just something that we came up with on our own. But I truly believe, and I could be wrong, but I truly believe we have a sense. If you're a believer and you're following God, there's something within you that sort of has this sense that God has put this in my heart. This is a passion that God has placed in my heart to do something, and it is in line with his word, and I believe it's in line with his will, and this is about me accomplishing something uh, uh, um, for for his glory and for my good, and I want to move that ball down the field. This is that kind of dream, and this is the thing. God gave Joseph a dream, so let me tell you this right now, and if this is the only thing that you get this morning, it's worth it. If God gives you a dream, he wants to give you a platform. Because see, here's the thing. Some of us, we think, well, God gave me a dream, but he's sure not helping me get there. I'm sure not, I'm, I'm sure not getting the contracts on the, writing, on the writing deal. I'm sure not getting the opportunity to... to, to share this or to, uh, or, or to have a greater position of influence. I'm, not, I'm, I'm sure not getting the opportunity to change jobs and, and do something that I feel like is more meaningful. I'm sure not getting the opportunity to start doing the kind of ministry that I want to do. But if God gave you a dream, you should be certain that he wants to give you a platform. And it would be cool if that was all I was going to tell you, is that God wants to give you a platform. But it's bigger than that. God actually wants to share his platform with you. Look at this, Ephesians chapter six, verse 10. The apostle Paul says, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Now that, there are lots of Greek words for power. This one is cool, this one is special. This word means the resources that you must have to do a certain job. So you say, you know, I hope you have the power to do this, or I hope you have the power to do that, what we're saying, even in the English language, is we're saying, I hope you have whatever it takes in order to do that, right? And that's exactly what this word means in Greek. So does that not fit with what we're saying? We're saying, what is a platform? A platform is what will be required for you to be able to do what it is that you're dreaming of doing. And what God is saying is, uh, or what Paul is saying through, through the Holy Spirit is he's saying, I want you to be strong in the Lord and in his platform. See, some some of us today, we walked in discouraged because our dream isn't happening. And I'm just saying, it's time for us to raise our chair up six inches and realize that God doesn't just want us to have a platform. God is inviting us to stand with him on his platform. Kind of a big deal. So I want to take you to the second half of that passage. We were just in Ephesians 6. We We're just looking at uh, verse 10, but look at what happens in verse 11. Now, there's 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 a twist here. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm. See, here's the thing. Standing on God's platform isn't easy. Why? Against all the strategies of whom? The devil. If God wants you to stand on his platform, you better be sure that Satan would just as soon knock you off. He does not want you to have a platform. Seriously. Because when a believer has a platform, they get stuffed done. When a believer has a platform, they move the ball down the field. When a believer has a platform, they accomplish things that people around them look at them and go, I don't understand how they're doing it. They don't have the degree. They don't have the pedigree. They don't have the money. They don't have all the stuff that it should take to be able to do that. And I don't understand how they're getting it done. But I'm just saying, when God gives a believer a platform and and that believer takes that platform and does something with it, incredible things happen. And Satan's not having any of that. And so in this platform class, that God is going to take us to school on this morning, every test that helps us build a platform, Satan is gonna be there with a lie to try to get us to fail. I'm gonna just walk you really quickly through, so if you're taking notes, I wanna walk you through four tests that God takes anyone through who's trying to build a platform. All right, here's test number one. Test number one is this, can God trust you to respect his boundaries. Watch how this works. Genesis chapter 39. We're we're, we're picking up the story here of Joseph. Uh, When he was taken to Egypt by the traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer, and he was the captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And the Lord was with Joseph. We'll come back to that later. And he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his master, Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. And this pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant, right? So this is a much higher position than what he was brought into this household for. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. So he went from being a slave to being the chief of staff for the main general in Egypt. And from that day, um, uh, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. And so Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. And with Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. So I want you to notice how this is all set up. Potiphar gives Joseph immense liberty, immense freedom, and the ability to exercise his gifts. But then look at what happens in in verse six. Uh, The Bible says Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. Um, And Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. Now here's the thing. If you are a child of God, and you're a person who's trying to do the right thing, God is going to bless you. It's not an if, it's just what's gonna happen. God will bless you even in the middle of difficult circumstances. Even when you're in a circumstance that you wouldn't have picked for yourself that you'd rather you weren't in, God will bless you, and I'll tell you how you'll know, no matter what sort of scenario you're in, you're going to watch because you are going to end up with more freedom and more ability to impact your environment than you should have. This is what happened with Joseph. He's supposed to be a slave, but watch what happens. He has more freedom and more ability to do what he needs to impact his environment than he should possibly have. It's just, there are some things that are off limits. See, when God blesses us, there always is a boundary. Somewhere there's something and God says, this is off limits, right? Great example, the Garden of Eden. Go back to the beginning of Genesis. Look what happens. God puts man in the perfect environment. Tons of freedom, tons of liberty. You may eat of all the trees in the garden except for one, right? There is a boundary, there is a line, there is a no. There is a no for you to respect when God says no. See, test number one is, can you trust God with no? If God says no, can you respect his boundaries? And you should know that when you are in that situation of blessing. And there is a boundary. Satan will show up with a lie. And this is the lie. And, and by the way, this is the first lie in his bag of tricks. He started using it in the Garden of Eden. It's worked for him for a very long time. I think he's going to probably hang on to it. And this is the lie. You deserve better than this, and you should have it now. Right? That's what Satan did to our first parents, Adam and Eve, right? He shows up and he says, Look, you know, God's just trying to mess with you. You know? You, didn't, you should be able to have anything you want, and, and you should have it now, right? See, that's the thing. Um, my dad and I were talking on the phone last night about, uh, uh, because about, I, I, last night when, in the message I had said, whenever there is an opportunity for us to hold firm and do the right thing and hang in there and follow God and, and, and be careful about not stepping across his boundaries. In the sermon last night I said, Satan will always show up with a paycheck to get you to accept, uh, uh, to accept a, a compensation now to walk away from your destiny that would, that would happen later. And my dad was saying, isn't that like what we've heard so many people tell us and they'll come in for some sort of coaching or an appointment. Uh, you know, related to their career and they'll say, you know what, this other company offered me a signing bonus and it was so big and it was so attractive that I decided to go ahead and leave my job and go on with this other company. But I loved the company that I was at and now I'm wondering why I did this, you know, it's such an attractive signing bonus. And that's the thing, Satan would like to get you signed on to his company and he would like to get you off of God's platform and he will offer you a signing bonus to get you off of God's platform. I mean, Joseph could have considered this just a perk of the job, but he didn't. Look at, what he, look at what, he, uh, what he says. This is in Genesis chapter 39, verse eight. Joseph refused, and he said, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. I have lots of freedom. I have lots of ability to do what I need to do. And he says, no one here has more authority than I do. And then look at this. He has held nothing back from me except you. Let's reword that. He's basically saying, but you are off limits. You were behind the boundary, you were behind the line. This has been held back from me and I'm okay with that. Let me ask you a question. Are you okay with God holding something back from you? Are you okay with God saying, this is behind the line, don't step across? I mean, you realize it's so important for us to get that God doesn't put stuff behind boundary lines because he wants to keep us away from good stuff. That's Satan's lie. That's what Satan tried to tell our first parents. God puts stuff behind the boundary line because it is, the, it is exactly those sorts of things that will, that will take us away from the platform God wants to give us. If you know the story, you know that this doesn't end up very well for Joseph. Because the Bible says in verse 10, she kept putting pressure on him day after day, but he refused to sleep with her. And he kept out of her way as much as possible. And there's enough there for a fantastic sermon, but we'll keep moving. Uh, One day, however, no one else was around when he went in to do his work. And she came and grabbed him by the cloak, demanding, come on and sleep with me. And Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as, as he ran from the house. And when she saw that she was holding his cloak and he had fled, she called out to her servants and soon all the men came running. Look, she said, my husband brought this Hebrew slave here to make fools of us. He came into my room and he tried to rape me, but I screamed and when he heard me scream, he ran outside and he got away, but he left his cloak here with me. Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held and there he remained. Now, this is just conjecture, and it's my responsibility to tell you that, right? I, I, it's my job to tell you if I'm just making an educated guess. Um, but I, I do think there's reason to believe this. So if you study what is meant here by the king's prison, so this is where Potiphar put Joseph, was in the king's prison. This was a prison for like high-profile um, prisoners. And it, it was not your typical, terrible, harrowing prison experience. It was more what you would think of in terms of a, of a place to just contain people, but not to treat them badly. This was, again, this was a place for high-profile uh, uh, prisoners. And I got to be honest with you, this is where I struggle a little bit. Because I, I really do believe, and based off of what I, what I've read about Egyptian law at the time and so forth, and about Potiphar's position, I think if he really was completely 100% sure that what his wife said happened did happen, I think at a minimum, he would have put him in the most terrible prison he could find in Egypt, and at a maximum, he would have just killed the guy. Because Joseph was not an Egyptian. He could have done just about anything he wanted to do. But you know what? I think Potiphar didn't know exactly what happened. And I think he had one thing is clear, he knew what Joseph's character was. I mean, he had, he had continued to elevate Joseph because he knew what kind of respect Joseph had. And he understood that Joseph understood boundaries, and this was not at all compatible with what he knew of Joseph. I gotta be honest with you, my conjecture is, he put him in the king's prison because he didn't know what to do. But I'll tell you something. If Joseph had done what Potiphar's wife wanted him to do, and he had found out, I think Joseph would have gotten taken offline really quickly. See, that's the thing. The paycheck that Satan wants to offer us to get us off of God's platform is almost always the one thing that will keep us from our destiny. But it looks bad for Joseph because now he's in prison. I mean, regardless of your viewpoint or regardless of Joseph's viewpoint, he did the right thing and now the payoff is uh, he's in jail. And that takes us to test number two. This is the second test God will put you through if in the process of building a platform and that's this: can God trust you to stay focused? can God trust you to stay focused? And this is where uh, by the way this is where I'll get i'll get stuck because uh, I'm your typical firstborn, um, which means that I'm, I'm, I'm a rule follower right uh, the, you know for those of you who um, aren't firstborns um, just a little bit of an idea into what our life is like. Um, firstborns, we all tend to be just a smidge codependent. Um, we're we're huge rule followers, and we believe in the um, system of if you do what's right, if you follow the rule, you will be rewarded. If you break the rule, you will be punished, right? And that is part of what becomes a big baseline in, our, in the DNA of our thinking. But then we get out in the real world and guess what we learn? We learn that there are plenty of people who are doing the right things who are punished and there are plenty of people who are doing the wrong things who seem to be rewarded and it doesn't seem fair. I mean it wasn't fair for Joseph to be put in prison but then again it wasn't fair for Joseph to be sold as a slave. It wasn't fair for him to get dumped in a pit. It wasn't fair for his brothers to not, to, 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 to not like him as a person. He had been through a whole bunch of not fair, just as you, if you are really training for an incredible position in God's arsenal, if you, were, if, if you are being groomed by God to do something incredible, you are going to go through a huge <coughs> amount of not fair. Can you handle that? See, that's the thing. When, 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 when God gives you that test, you need to know Satan's going to show up with another lie. And do you know what lie Satan's going to show up with? He, Satan's going to show up and tell you God isn't holding up his end of the bargain. You followed the rules, but you're not being rewarded. Listen, because your situation isn't fair, then the only thing for you to conclude is that God isn't fair. That's lie number two. See, I, I talk to people all the time and, and they want to believe in Jesus and they want to have a relationship with God, but they say, Jonathan, I just can't get it reconciled in my head. Why would an all-loving, all-powerful God allow bad things to happen to, to good people? And I appreciate their transparency in talking to me about that. The reason that we're even talking about that question is because Satan has planted a lie in this culture that because our situation is unfair, then that must mean that God is unfair but we live in a broken world see that's the that's the key if god is going to use you in this world if you're going to be the hands and feet of the savior and do something incredible in this world the question is can you trust that god is fair when you're in an unfair environment and can you stay focused look at this genesis 39 verse 21 the lord was with joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love and again we will we will come back to that And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. Again, when you are doing the right thing, even in a difficult situation, God will bless you with authority and he will bless you with liberty. And the the scripture says the warden didn't have any more worries because Joseph took care of everything and the Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. Now, I don't know about you, but this is where the story of Joseph just stands out like a beacon of light, because this is where you really expect Joseph to go off the grid. This is where you really expect Joseph to have a nervous breakdown, to have a meltdown, and to say, I have done everything the right way. I have lived a life of character. I have done the right stuff. Backstage, my life is good. I don't understand why I continue to deal with this sort of Junk that keeps falling in my lap and it's not fair and it's not cool and this is just God being vindictive and and punishing me and in the end I don't even know what I feel about God because God is just messing with me when I'm trying to do what I believe he's asked me to do. This is what we would expect from him and yet you see something different. What do you see from Joseph? No matter where you put him, you see him putting his head down, looking at what his job is to do and doing that job better than anyone else. Let's look in Galatians. Paul says, Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Now, I don't know about you, but I always grew up reading this passage thinking that this was kind of like a, a warning to people who were doing bad stuff. You will reap what you sow. Whatever you're doing that's bad, you're going to harvest that. Well, that applies, it's true. And we can certainly tell that the scripture absolutely speaks to that. But this is not who Paul is talking to. Paul is not talking to a bunch of rebels who need to get their behavior straight. Paul is talking to a bunch of dedicated Christians who are trying to do the right thing and feeling like they're not being rewarded for doing the right thing. And he says, don't be misled. God's justice is not going to be mocked. You will reap what you sow. He's saying, look, you." You're not, putting, you're not putting in all this effort for nothing. You're not depositing all of this behavior that you're trying to live after God and trying to do the right things. You're not doing it for nothing. God's justice will not be mocked. You will reap what you sow. And this speaks to the temptation of the moment. You know what the word... um um, depending on your translation, you may, your, your, your translation may say God is not mocked or your translation may say you can't mock God or it may say you, you cannot mock the justice of God. That word mock in the Greek is the same root word uh, in Greek as the word for nose and it's a play on words in the Greek that literally means to turn your nose up at. Like, If someone presented a plate of food to you that you didn't want to eat, you turn your nose up and reject it. So basically, God is saying you you can't turn your nose up at and reject God's justice. But why would a believer do that? Why would somebody who, who believes in God turn their nose up at the justice of God? Well, it's because it does not fit with what we see in this world. And there can come a moment where we become cynical and we, we think, you know what, it's not worth it, all of this effort and no, no reward. And we, we can get to the point where we turn up our nose at God's justice and say, you know what, I just have to learn to play the game like everybody else plays the game because it's about time that I got rewarded. Whether that means I do the right thing or the wrong thing, I just got to learn how the rules are played. I don't have to worry anymore about God's rules because you know what, that has not paid off. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to figure out how the rules are, are played here so that I can get what I deserve. But Paul says, be careful. In verse 9, he says, let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we do not give up. It takes a special person to enter a messed up world and keep their head on straight. So how do you do that? Because I'm telling you, this is, this is gonna get me because I have a heightened sense of justice. I mean, I don't get mad. I don't, I don't struggle with anger much, but if you wanna get me angry, just present something to me that's unfair. It doesn't even have to be unfair to me. It can be unfair to somebody else. That's enough to really trigger it for me. I can get really, really upset because I just do not handle it well when I feel like things are not fair. So I don't know about you, but this much I know about me personally, it's easy to be absorbed in injustice. So how do you deal with that? Back to Galatians, verse 4, chapter 6. Pay careful attention to what? Your own work. For then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. For we are each responsible for our own work conduct. This is why I cannot read my Facebook newsfeed anymore is because it's so full of injustice that my blood pressure goes up and my heart rate goes up and I start to feel depressed and, and my mood changes and I'm not even the same person for the rest of the day. And God is telling us in the scripture, that shouldn't be a surprise because that's not what you've been called to focus on. You've not been called to focus on your circumstances and you've not been called to focus on other people's behavior. You've been called to focus on your behavior, See, so many people will tell you that the reason they don't have a platform is someone else, something someone else has done in their life, or something that someone else isn't doing, or or the the people that are letting them down, or they'll tell you about their circumstances, the way things just haven't unfolded right. That's why they don't have a platform. But, But God says, none of those things are what's keeping you from doing it. God's saying, if you want to have a platform, you need to focus on your own work because that is what you're accountable for. Romans 12, 19 says this, dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. What does the Bible say? About, what, 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 what is Paul saying? Don't let evil conquer you. What he's saying is, look, revenge is about one thing and one thing only, and that is losing focus. It, it, it takes us from what we need to be paying attention to and takes us to the injustice of someone else, believing that somehow now God has called us to right their wrong, and then we don't show up for the job that God has called us to do, and we get off task, and then evil has conquered us because it has taken us away from our platform. But God says, don't don't let someone else's evil rob you of your calling. You stay in the saddle, do what God has called you to do, and let God take care of the circumstances and the other people. He will handle it. That He will take care of it. Don't ever let someone else's foolishness draw you away from your calling. Here's the third test. And this one is really hard for me too. Got to be honest. Test number three. Can God trust you to wait? Can God trust you to wait? Joseph's in the prison and the Pharaoh had a falling out with his uh cupbearer and his head baker. Now, those don't sound like very important positions, but they were hugely important. The number one fear that something was gonna happen to the Pharaoh was that he was gonna be poisoned. So if you were the guy who was putting food in front of Pharaoh or putting something to drink in front of Pharaoh, you had to be one of his most trusted guys. These were hugely high positions and obviously there was some sort of rumor. I mean, we can basically assume here there's some sort of rumor going around that um, uh, there's some sort of coup being planned against the Pharaoh and he locks up both of these guys and Joseph gets put in charge. He's in charge of the prison. He gets put in charge of these two guys and uh, they end up having these crazy dreams. Joseph knows how to interpret dreams. And so they, they tell him what, they're, what happened in the dreams, and he says, Well, there's good news for one of you, and there's really, really bad news for the other. He said for the, to the cupbearer, He said, Buddy, you're going to get your job back. I, you know, this whole thing's going to clear up, and Pharaoh's going to call for you. He's going to get you out of prison, and you're going to get your job back. And then he told the baker, Buddy, I'm sorry to tell you this, but you are headed for death row. You're going to get impaled on a pole, and it's going to be a bad day for you. And uh, Joseph has a request. He says um, to the butler, he says, would you remember me? Do me a favor. When things go well for you and you get out of here, mention me to Pharaoh so he might let me out of this place. For I was kidnapped from my homeland and now I'm here in prison and I did nothing to deserve it. And the butler does get his job back. But look at what happens. In verse 23, the Pharaoh's cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. And the next verse starts off two full years later. Time out. Two years is a long time. I mean, think about what you were doing two years ago. Think of all the water that's gone under the bridge since then. Two years is a long time. Do you know what it's like to be expecting word from something that's like huge and you're obsessed with it and it's a big deal. I mean, you're waiting for news back on something that, you you know, a a college application or a medical test or something and you've you've been told you're going to hear back at a certain time and that day comes and goes and you put your your, your head on on your pillow at night thinking, but I thought I was going to hear back and it's really just really bumming you out, but you're like, I'm sure I'll hear back tomorrow, but then you don't hear back the next day and the next day you don't hear back and you know there comes a point at which you just go, you know, I don't think I'm ever going to hear back two years Joseph is in prison can God trust you to wait this is when Satan comes up with lie number three you know what that lie is Satan will come to you and he will say you know what God has forgotten you You haven't heard from God in a long time God hasn't shown up on the scene he hasn't given you any more direction he's just left you here and he's abandoned you you know you're on your own now just give up Back to Galatians, chapter six, verse nine. Let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. And the Greek word there for give up means to become exhausted and just let go. I mean, in my, in my mind's eye, I imagine, because you can tell I'm quite buff, I work out a lot. Um, in my mind's eye, I have this picture of holding up this really heavy barbell and feeling kind of tired and just literally just dropping it. Because that's what Paul is saying. If we don't, if we don't let go, so that's the thing. That's what Satan wants us to do in those moments. And by the way. This is one of the final tests. This is where it's getting so close to when God begins to to turn the tables and we begin to experience our destiny. But waiting is such a huge part of, of, of being an effective part of God's team because God understands perfect timing and we don't. And so if we're not willing to wait, we will mess stuff up and God needs to know, are we able to wait? And so God will put us in a position to wait and it will be at that point that Satan will show up and say, God has forgotten you. And it is at that point that we are at the biggest risk of just letting go. It's interesting that sometimes it's the quietest thing that we do for God that is the thing that leads up to our greatest destiny because waiting is a quiet thing. It's a, it's a, it's a passive thing. It's, a, it's, a, it, it's, it's one of those things. That it's, not, it's not bright and brilliant and colorful. It's one of those things where we just have to sit there in God's waiting room to be called, but there will be a moment when God will call us. And for Joseph... That happens when the Pharaoh has a dream that he can't interpret, a bad dream, a dream that that really disturbs him, and then the butler remembers something. I love this. Look at this, I've skipped over this verse, I've read it a bunch of times and I've never seen this until this week. Look at this in Genesis 41 verse nine. Finally the the king's chief cupbearer spoke up, today I have been reminded of my failure. He didn't say today I remember my failure. I even looked this up in the original passage. It is a passive construct. I have been reminded. You don't say I remembered if it was something that you instigated. When you say I have been reminded, you're saying somebody else instigated it. Do you know what I think? I think God reminded this guy. Guy about Joseph. And that's what I'm saying. There will be a moment when you sit in God's waiting room when God will call for you because he will remind the right people to call you up. I've been reminded. See, there will come a moment when God will create an opening of significance that only you can fill. See, there are a lot of things that m- lots of people can do, but God knows that there's something on this planet that only you can do. And if you hang in there and you Let God build the platform. There will be a moment when God will open up that significance that only you can fill. So we've covered a lot already. We've talked about, can God trust you with no? Can God trust you to stay focused? Can God trust you to wait? Here's the last one, and we're going to be done this morning. Can God trust you with success? Genesis 41, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream last night. Nobody here can tell me what it means, but I've heard that when you hear about a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph said, yep, I do that. What's your dream? Right? No. He says, it is beyond my power to do this, Joseph replied, but God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. Remember how I started this sermon? I said, God doesn't want to just give you a platform. He wants to share a platform with you. So someday... When God gives you success, and you stand there on the platform with him, the question is, will you leave room for him to still be there? Because there was a moment when God gave Joseph success, and he's standing on the platform, and Pharaoh said, I heard that you can do this, and he said, I'm not the only one standing on this platform. I'm just, a, I'm just a little guy who's getting to share a platform with an incredible God. And if anything good happens on my platform, it happens because God started it and God is going to finish it. And I'm just saying, the ultimate test of whether you can go the distance and achieve significance and take a dream and see it become reality is if God can trust you with success. Earlier this week, my dad and I were uh, in this, uh, I, was, I was riding with my dad somewhere in his car. And uh, we were talking about a, a Christian music artist, probably my favorite Christian music artist. And the genre of music that I like to listen to, I don't know of anybody as brilliant as he is in terms of writing and arranging and producing incredible music. And um, I always really had appreciation for his character as well. The group that he started was based on the idea of trying to do things in a more spiritual way than a lot of musical group, Christian musical groups had done. And uh, I had made some sort of remark about it, and I watched as my dad became strangely silent. It's not, I, I could tell something was wrong. And after a moment, he just said, you know, we need to pray for him because I'm not sure things are well with him right now. And you, you have to know, my dad is not a negative person. If my dad says something like that, there's, there's a real problem. So I went to my computer, and I, I pulled it up on the screen. And uh, I, got, I got sick. I felt physically sick because this was not my first rodeo with this. I don't know if if you've been there, but you see somebody that you believe is a spiritual giant, you see somebody that you believe is really following God and doing things the right way, and then you find out that things really are not the way they were represented. You know, I still have a lot of respect for this individual. But one thing is clear what he presented himself as for years and what he was behind the scenes are two different things. Now there's a a divorce and a new girlfriend, a bunch of stuff happening that's just hard to interpret. Not my job to interpret it. But I'll tell you something. It definitely flushed out some interesting thoughts from people who were posting on his Facebook page. I mean, I looked through the comments, I shouldn't have. You should never read comments. But I did. I was reading through the comments. Do you know what I saw over and 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 over over again? This is your private life. This is your private life. Don't let people bother you about your private life. Keep going. Keep singing. Keep doing what you do. This is nobody's business but yours. This is your private life. If I read the words private life once, I read them 500 times, and I just want to say before God and everybody in this room that we don't have a private life and a public life. We have a life, right? And what the Bible tells us is that whatever is going on backstage will eventually make its way into the spotlight. And that's why I grieve for this individual because of what's happened. But on the flip side, I, I'm kind of happy for him because this will force a decision. Sometimes it is good when what is backstage makes it into the spotlight because it, for, for one way or another, something is going to have to, a call is going to have to be made. So I'm just asking you as we close out our time this morning, are you ready for what's backstage to be in the spotlight? Are you passing the test? Are you, are you building the platform to have that moment on stage where you live out your dreams? Because if so, I wanna, I wanna tell you something. I said over and over and over again in this message, I said, we're gonna come back to the fact that the Bible says God was with Joseph, God was with Joseph, God was with Joseph, and he succeeded in everything that he did, and he succeeded in everything that he did. If you're in this room and you say, well, you know what, Jonathan, I'm doing everything I can to follow God, it's not an easy season for me. This is not an easy time, and I still don't see all the rewards coming in the way I thought they would, but backstage, I have, I'm have, i doing what I believe God has asked me to do, and and I'm, I'm trusting that God is is, Building a platform for me, I just want to tell you, Joseph had a platform from day one. He had a platform in his family, and then he had a platform in Potiphar's house, and then he had a platform in prison. And then eventually God brought him to the platform that would be his ultimate realization of his dreams. If you're in a place right now and you say, you know what, Jonathan, I'm still not seeing the rewards. I'm just telling you, you have a platform now. Wherever wherever God has you, whatever you're doing right now, you already have a platform. God is is giving you the position to do things that you wouldn't be able to do without him. So we put our trust in God, and we say, you know what, God? There's going to be a moment where whatever is going on backstage is going to come out on stage. And so I'm going to trust you, just like Joseph, to say, God, I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to wait for you. What does the Bible say? At the right time, he will lift us up. At the right time, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for the fact that you are, you are the one who elevates, you are the one who promotes, you are the one who can take us where we need to be. Dismiss us with your grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for being here this morning.